0: All right, so this week, we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into a scene from what we don't say. Because I remember right when the movie got released, you and I said that we would eventually do some deep dives in this movie. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Was that your chair that just creaked heavily?
1: Yeah, it was. You
0: got to oil that, buddy.
1: Well, it's not a chair. It's It's like a footrest thing.
0: Sounds like a murder weapon. I'll have to get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> Bury it. Destroy it. All right. Uh, before we get to the topic at hand, though, I wanted to ask your editor brain a couple questions. Well, your editor brain and your cinematographer brain. Um, actually, singular question. There seems to be new camera capable of 12K. Mm-hmm. and i know i have my thoughts on it but i thought you would be much much more qualified to give the audience your thoughts on 12k first so what do you think
1: well i think it's the the new black magic camera that can shoot up to 12k um i don't know the the specs on how it's recording or the uh the actual file type and stuff. But um, yeah, it's definitely, you know, a huge step in terms of camera, you know, resolution and, and the quality of the file. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's something that independent filmmakers are necessarily going to need.
0: So they don't need the extra four or eight or even 10 K's that they were previously shooting on.
1: Well, you know, all that extra stuff, it affords you something for specific uses, so if you're just filming some guy in his apartment who's having a bad day, I don't necessarily know what the 12K sensor's going to do for you, but, you know, who knows, maybe you want to film something and not have to worry about using a so much rigging and stuff and and you want to just stabilize it later on then all that extra you know space on this on the file will allow you to punch in and stabilize it and really make it smooth but you know uh, uh, if you're recording on uh recording something in 12k you're probably going to have a much bigger sensor as well so your your image will probably be a lot cleaner because more light's going to be hitting the sensor it won't be as noisy i'm guessing and the depth of field will be much more elevated with a bigger sensor so there are some benefits to shooting on on such a big sensor and recording at such high resolutions you'll be able to reframe things and adjust things like that and you might be getting you know i'm assuming with this black magic camera they're going to give you um full bit depth in the recording as well, so you're gonna have very high resolution image with very nice color rendition, but you know it's gonna make much bigger files that will be more intensive on your um, machine for editing. I don't know how many people can even edit raw eight K footage without having to use proxies. So twelve K is just you know for you know, someone like me or someone who's just editing on their personal machine, it would be you know near impossible to work with without doing some transcoding.
0: So before I ask the questions that are burning with me, within me, for me and my fellow idiots, what the hell is a proxy?
1: Uh, it's a lower resolution version of the raw footage. So it's just like a um, temporary version you use for editing so that the machine doesn't have such a hard time with it.
0: Okay, so that theoretically wouldn't even have that much of an impact until you went in to go do color or VFX or something like that,
1: right? Yeah, when you would go into stages, you would online the footage and use the raw stuff instead of using the proxy stuff.
0: Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. All right, so I think the the list of reasons to not use 12K would be quite a bit longer than the list... To use 12k so would you agree with that first off
1: well that depends on what you're shooting you know like i i don't have any vendettas against higher resolution cameras and stuff like that you know i know what i need to shoot something and i just stick with what works well for me but you know at some point in the future i might need to shoot on bigger cameras with much higher resolutions but um i 12k wouldn't be um a delivery format you know i think most people would shoot with that to have more space to to do things later on and then deliver it at 4k hd which you know most people are still doing now Um, and you know sometime in the future people might be watching stuff in 8k who knows but i don't think 12k is a is a delivery resolution you know would capture and send it out in hd 2k or 4k Um, But when you start with such a big um, amount of space to to use and you um, send it out in something smaller, it's going to look much better. Um, So, you know, if you're shooting big films and you have to budget for that, then, then the small added cost and a little bit of extra time might not be that big of a deal for bigger shoots. So I wouldn't necessarily, like throw it to the side and be like, Oh, it's useless and we're just you know but, you know, I I do think like um it's just gonna keep getting bigger and at some point, you know, we have to ask ourselves how much do you really need? But that's just how the industry goes. It's always evolving and and trying trying to get the most out of, you know, everything and um me this is a premium product but it's also got a strange price tag because it's a lot cheaper than the camera's a lot cheaper than an alexa or you know a higher end red camera it's around fifteen thousand dollars so you know i'm not necessarily sure who this camera is for but it might be a good camera to do sports stuff on who knows
0: and sports are awesome so going back to the editing phase of this if someone you said if someone came to you with 12k you wouldn't even necessarily be able to use the raw stuff and i would assume that would be the same with 8k like for the average indie editor that doesn't have you know the cream of the crop with 10,000 terabytes of storage what's the max you can realistically handle and like what's the max you would recommend fellow indie filmmakers to shoot on
1: Oh, you have to spec out your hardware like i can't give a recommendation without knowing what you're going to use you know it would be like a weird a weird guess for me to make that judgment for someone else you have to know what machine you're using um the program you're using the graphics cards you have the amount of ram in your computer and also know um what the delivery is you know if you're shooting 4k but you're going to send something out in h in full hd then You don't necessarily have to edit in 4K. You can use proxies for the editing process because it's going to look like what your delivery is, and then just online for the export. So you don't wouldn't need anything super intensive for that. So you know, talk to your cinematographer and your director and figure out what's necessary for the actual project. But uh, you know, myself, like 4K is the max that I deal with now. If someone came to me and said we're going to shoot this in 8K, I'd ask you know what the reasons were. And if there are valid reasons, and we f- figure out how to make that work. But, you know, every, every project's different and you have to know the reasons why. And it, I, it would be hard for me to make a recommendation not knowing um, any of that information for someone. So I think you have to ask yourself those questions.
0: Okay, that's pretty fair. So the last question I have on this, um, if a client did come to you and say, hey, you know, we are shooting in 8K, here's the reasons and you're like yeah okay that makes a lot of sense what would those reasons be like why would it make sense for someone to shoot on 8k for something that you'd be working on in this you know really indie film space
1: well you know it might not be a big vfx films but even independent films have a lot of visual effects maybe Mm -hmm. it's not like an explosion or something maybe it's something to augment the, the narrative of the movie so you might have a lot of you know, replacing um, backgrounds and buildings and adding, you know, smoke and textures to the thing and and doing a lot of stuff that requires a lot of um, room to play with. So that might be another reason. Or maybe the director likes to do a lot of um, stabilizing and a lot of uh, um, reframing and stuff like that. You know, there's, there's that movie... I forgot the name of it, was, um, about this guy in this, it's called Alpha, that's the movie, about this guy and this wolf, um, in the, in the wild, kind of trying to survive or something, I, I don't know what the movie's premise is about, but I remember hearing the colorists say they stabilized every shot in the film, um. And they also had to retain the framing that was done in the edit. So you have to stabilize everything, but retain the actual frame sizes from top to bottom. And that's something that's super specific. And when you have a lot of extra room to move things around, that helps with stuff like that. So those you know, those would be, I think, the reasons to do something like that.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's just the look and the feel they're going for, right?
1: Yeah, and, and how it helps them... Uh, Maneuver it without having to make too many extra sacrifices.
0: Yeah. All right. Totally fair. So, I guess, bottom line, just don't blind fire into 8 or 12k. Like, make sure there's reasons for it and make sure everyone can handle it.
1: Yeah. I mean,. I don't like this idea of shooting on, like, really high resolutions, without a valid reason. Um, you know, most people can't even tell the difference between HD and 4K (laughs) if you show it to them on a screen. Um, you know, it's not just the capture format, it's the delivery format. They're not so many people watching stuff in a a certain resolution some TVs are still in like 720 some TVs are in HD and some are in 4k but it's kind of like a wild west when it comes to like what people watch their stuff on some people are watching on you know laptops and iPhones to tablets so you know as long as your stuff is looking good um across the board it doesn't really matter how you shot it
0: I like it I dig it a lot yeah All right, so 12K talk over. Let's move on to the feature subject, uh, tackling a scene of what we don't say. So this scene we're going to tackle. If you haven't seen the movie, you you might be able to kind of carry along with us. I'm not sure. We haven't talked about this yet. But if you have seen the movie, I think you'll probably get a lot more out of this one. Well,
1: I can play the audio before we get into it as well.
0: Okay. Perfect. Well, I hope if you haven't seen the movie, this audio does the trick and you know through audio osmosis what's going on. So here's the clip.
1: Hey, hey Ben, what's up? How are you? Good. You haven't seen Julia have you? No. I thought she was coming with you. No, I haven't been able to find her. Oh, well, she's probably just late or hungover. <laughs> we had a lot of wine. You hey guys? tried calling her she's not responding like you haven't talked to her at all look buddy uh, i know you don't want to hear this but it's probably because she's leaving
0: maybe she doesn't know how to say goodbye dude ben So that's the clip. Uh, This is a scene later in the movie where um, it's kind of, in a sense, the start of the finale of the movie where everything's kind of coming to a head. The love story has gotten to a point where they've Ben and Juliet have agreed to go to this concert that's going on in her friend's backyard. She doesn't end up showing up. Caleb is obviously hiding something at this point, creating a lot of tension within the group. And it's this, Strange scene where it's almost, in a sense, now that I look at it, an anti finale in a way, because usually finales, there's everything's happening all at once, and this is a scene where things are. are coming together and wanting to happen all at once, but everything's holding it. Everyone is holding in what they have to such a huge degree and protecting themselves. Like to the point where Juliet doesn't even show up to the scene and Ben has to go find her right after. So it's, it's definitely unusual in that sense, but I think it's one of the better scenes in the movie. And one of the reasons we're talking about it is this scene was, I'm going to call it a pain in the ass to shoot. Would you agree with that, Latif?
1: No, not necessarily. I didn't feel like it was super tough to shoot. I think once we got things set up, I felt pretty confident about it. I mean, it was definitely riskier than the other scenes, like the way we shot hmm. it, but yeah.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot going on. Like, a lot.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so... How should we tackle this? Should we... <laughs> tackle story first to actual physical shooting, the challenges, the things that went really right, you know, like what's the order you think we should go at this?
1: Probably talk about the actual point of the scene and stuff like that. Then we can go into production details later on.
0: Okay. So yeah. um, Like I mentioned, this is in a sense, an anti beginning of finale. Um, There was a lot of different things that needed to, start to happen in this scene and i think even from the first draft first or second draft it was always going to be this scene where it was more about like the things that they aren't saying to each other than the actual things that are happening because the whole idea of the movie is to keep it very human and in That sense of being very human, there's a lot of things that people will always keep in, right? So we knew that we needed to have a scene where all these characters come and finally meet. This is the only scene, or the, yeah, I think it's the only scene where all the characters should be there. But Juliet decides not to show up. So we needed to show that there's friction amongst everyone. Obviously, the scenes leading up to this have been going less than stellar. For our love story, same with our supporting characters, things are kind of starting to fall apart. And this is where I think all the characters either want to hide everything forever or they're on the other side of the coin where they're just looking for answers nonstop. And sadly, in this scene, no one's going to get any answers, and people are really going to struggle to keep things in. So it's kind of, you know, right when the water starts boiling at that really rapid rate, we wanted the characters to be there in this. And the idea of doing it in a public space where there's no real opportunity to have a private moment, there's a lot of shit going on, and you're expected to be social in a situation where you either want to hide everything, or you just want to talk to one of the person about feelings, which is something that, you know, just generally, you shouldn't really do at a party kind of thing. Um, what do you remember about the first iteration of this Latif? Cause you and I wrote the first draft of the script together. So I think I remember it, but what do you recall?
1: I mean, specifics were different, that's for sure. Like, it, it was definitely not, like, a kind of outdoor concert like we had. I think it was originally, like, a house party. So it took place, like, in, like, you know, an empty living room with, like, a band playing in the corner or something.
0: Yeah, you know, that's one thing that I, I don't think I'll ever forget. Because the first draft, it was supposed to be, like, like you mentioned, living room like or, like, a loft kind of thing. But definitely inside... <laughs> And then the second draft, I was like, oh, let's change it to an outdoor party. So we did that. And the third draft, I was like, for some reason, I decided to change it back to a loft. And then the fourth draft, we changed it back to a backyard party because we realized we couldn't get a loft. So it just kept flip-flopping. Um, I can't even remember. Was it you or was it me that wrote the first iteration of the scene?
1: Um, no, I don't think I wrote the first version of the scene. I think I may have mentioned the house party as a concept, just because I remember going to a house party like that, where there was just a band playing in an empty living room. It was kind of a weird party. Um, a bunch of people jammed in this house to see this band play, but I think that was kind of the idea of it. But I don't remember writing the scene. now.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I don't, to be honest, I don't remember the first iteration other than it being inside... Um, But the second draft and subsequent drafts, I think that's where it largely started to focus on, you know, the one time that if Juliet was to show up, this would be the only time where all the characters are together because the whole movie, they're kind of kept apart, whether it's, you know, just one person or they're the love story's off and the rest of the people are discarded kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So it fit the kind of traditional, finale in that sense but I think that's pretty much the only way it fits it
1: yeah and and it does set up like an expectation because I think everyone feels like they'll bump into Juliet or something and by the end of the scene it's kind of a downer (laughs) because you know he doesn't really get any of that and the whole event the whole night's kind of ruined because of that as well because, like, his yeah. friends are there to support him, but there's this kind of feeling of, you know, when when the friend is not in a good mood, like, none of us can really be in a good mood. It doesn't feel right.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think we've all been in a situation like that where, you know, you go out with you and your buddies and one person's in a shitty mood. And it I don't want to say that that shitty mood becomes a black hole, but it kind of does in a sense and it's either the friends there'll be some friends that are like whatever who cares they just go off and try and have a good night without them or there's the friends that are like ah you know we gotta you know try and help him in this situation and get him not feeling so terrible so it definitely takes a a vampiric bite out of the energy of the night no matter how you look at it um so let's go into the actual production of it because one of the, well, let's start where we mentioned that it kept flip-flopping from indoor to outdoor. So when we started pre-production, I think we had the third draft of the script done and it was meant to be a loft party at that point. And for some reason, actually the reason is it's really, really hard to get locations. We couldn't find a loft. So I remember you and I started talking about it and, It just became apparent, like, look, we can shoot this in the backyard, the backyard of the house that I lived in, and we can make it work. There's a little stone area that almost, you know, is kind of asking for a stage. So that's where we could put the singer-songwriter. The yard's a decent side, so we can put all these people there. But then we also had another problem of the, if you look at the back door of the house, there's a little stairway and everything. We shot another scene there, and that was supposed to be Juliet's house. So we knew we were faking this location to be more than one location. So when this idea was first brought up, what was your take on it? Like, what do you think of how we could pull this off?
1: I think a a lot of it was about having like a kind of place to anchor the scene around. And the stage was a big part of that because you have, you have a kind of distracting focal point that the scene is going to be staged around. And that's like that big, you know, lighting concert stage little thing that we had enough for it to feel like its own place because the scene right after that one is at juliet's backyard they're actually right after each other but they
0: yeah it is eh? they
1: look like different locations just because of you know the factors of the lighting was different the amount of people in the scene were, were different and we didn't show the same parts of the location um you know when we shot juliet's backyard we only showed the house and we had the rest of the yard in black when we shot the concert scene we had that stage lit up and the house was completely in shadow so even if you looked that way and saw like a bit of it it was so kind of in the periphery and not in focus and in the shadows that you wouldn't even think it was the same place and i don't think anyone ever Thought that I think even people who worked on the film were like, oh yeah, we did shoot those right after each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the framing's quite different too. Because when you look at the concert scene, everything's shot in a very wide kind of way. Like even when obviously it's wide when we're walking through the entire crowd, because we really wanted it to feel like there was a good amount of people there. And even more, we wanted to feel like there was even more people than what we actually had. So we wanted it to be that overwhelming sense of like, Ben's moving through a crowd, he's really searching, and it wasn't just like he was looking past a couple people. He needed to be going through the weeds, so to speak, right? And then even when we're on singles or a two shot we're still quite wide compared to when you go to the next scene it's this intimate moment between ben and juliet and sure we have the wide shot but when we cut to the singles we're we really scale down the scope of it i think so i think that helped sell it quite a bit as well
1: yeah i mean we're changing the the focus because when he's at the concert you want to see him like walking through this crowd of people kind of looking around for this person and I you know I know that we shot that on the 24 um, as we were walking with him and even when we did the scene at the stairs I think we shot that on the 50 I'm pretty sure we did um so they're slightly tighter lenses and they but they're you know they're not really that much more tight you can still see you know what's around the actor it's not like it's like blurred out and um, but you know, I, I'm not. I'm not even exactly sure. I think it, it could have been on the 24 as well, because I don't remember there being like a huge amount of like shallow depth in those scenes at the stairs either. But uh, I think it was really more just about the look and the and the color palette and and also just the the audio helped a bit too. Cause like when you when you're at this big concert scene and then you cut to this very quiet seen at the back of a house, it really does feel like a different space.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that's a little, um, I don't want to say underrated, but maybe undernoticed. Like audio cues to take you into different areas really, really work. And a great example of that is the, and also what we don't say, is the bar versus the restaurant. Same place, same location. The night versus day, like we filmed the restaurant part during the day and the bar part uh, at night. But literally, they're five feet away from each other. So you just do different lighting, different sounds. And even the extras, if you really look at it, it's the same extras in the scene. So like yeah. you can really sell it different if you you know put a couple tricks on it.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Um, so when this was first proposed and we were talking about it, was there any doubt in your mind that we could pull this off like did a little part of you say uh you know people might know maybe we shouldn't
1: no no never never felt that way i think like there's enough that separates them because you know when we're shooting in the concert scene we're shooting lengthwise in the yard we're shooting from the house towards the stage and when we're shooting at the house we're shooting um the width wide of the yard we're shooting against the house um, so the house is like in, on the side of the actors and it's always in the shot and it feels like a very different place. Um, but we also lit it very differently too. The, all the stuff at the house has a more like yellowy orangey feel cause there's a, like porch light above them. And then I put like a tiny bit of blue light to denote like maybe there is like a street lamp or there's some light bouncing off a building next to them or something so it does feel very different
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's something that i actually have no regrets about the the way we in my opinion successfully pulled it off that it feels like two different locations i mean everyone that i've told that to aside from obviously the people we shot the movie with they have no idea it's the same and i think it's a pretty great listen to indie filmmakers that you really can pull this kind of stuff off. if you just put a little forethought into it and, you know, provided you have the physical space to do it. Like if the backyard we shot in was half the size, I don't know if we could make it work, but, you know, we just evaluated it and it was the size where it really worked well. Mm -hmm. Um, So going to the physical production of the day, I'll let you... Tell your perspective on it first, because I know I have quite a few thoughts on it that I'll I'll let percolate for another minute.
1: Yeah, I mean, we basically built that stage um, a few hours before sunset.
0: Yeah, just you and I as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like a a huge amount of work. It, It was like putting up the truss and... The pole above the stage that we could hang the lights, and then putting up like this curtain thing in the background, and it it, it look a little shabby, but it's supposed to kind of feel that way because it's this like miniature stage in someone's backyard. So it's supposed to kind of feel shabby like that. It's not supposed to look yeah exactly very super well done because you, you you're supposed to get the feeling that at some point that stage is going to come down, and then. Um, in terms of the actual yard it was all empty and we just wanted to fill it with people the only other thing we built was like this little beer stand next to the stage yeah. <laughs> and it just had a, a, a sign on it that said beer um <laughs> and then i put like a little orange light over it because um, i felt like there would be a light over it so i put this kind of weird orange light but it's very different from the stage lighting because the light on the stage is very blue I thought that kind of mix of color temperature would look very cool um, in front of the stage because I figured the people at the stage aren't going to match color temperature, so whatever the hell they got is what they'll put up. So I made it very, very orange. But it all looked very uh, interesting to me.
0: Yeah, totally. So wh- what did you think of the way that it all came together just in terms of what we needed for the day like you mentioned we set up the stage we had the beer like how'd you feel about the way all that looked about how the extras filled out the space how the lighting ended up being everything like what was it what you had envisioned what went right versus if anything went wrong
1: i mean it wasn't exactly like what i pictured it to be i think like with that much stuff it's very difficult to really imagine what it's going to be like. Um, it definitely felt a little different when when I saw it for the first time cut together. But then I, I didn't have any issues with it. I, I felt very much like, oh, I believe this is real. To me, it feels like an actual thing. It feels like something that you know I might, might, might go to myself. So the actual space and everything... I liked how it looked. I liked how the the stage was basically the light for the whole scene because I didn't put up any extra lighting. Whatever was on stage was what was lighting the actors in the scene. And there's just this big HMI in the background that kind of did most of the work and then two little LEDs um, pointing down to kind of look like they were doing most of the work.
0: Yeah, totally. So, And then what did you think of the blocking and everything like did you have an idea of how in your head it was going to go down for blocking and did it meet that expectation when we actually shot
1: i don't remember too much of like the pre-production of it but i do and i know looking at it now like the way that he walks around the crowd i'm always facing the stage i never turn and look the other way and i think that part of that is because we don't want to see the house but i also kind of like how that looks because everyone it's kind of like flies looking at like a a light. Everyone's kind of looking towards the stage and then Cougar is like walking around the crowd and he's looking through them trying to find Juliet. So, you know, that blocking I thought was interesting and it worked for me. But even in terms of the lighting, it kind of puts him in the shadow and puts everyone else kind of like backlit and you're kind of looking for for a face as well with him. So as he's walking through the crowd, you're... You're getting like this big bright stage in front of you and then you're just looking through the people as he is and trying to figure out where Juliet would be but you never really find him and then at the end you kind of see there's a red hair and you notice it's Amy um and you kind of get your answer there as well so I I thought that was an interesting little piece of movement and I kind of like how it settled at the end of that that shot on on a two shot of them talking by the stage I liked how that looked
0: yeah, definitely. I totally agree. The, um, considering all the restrictions that we had upon us, I really have no complaints of how it turned out. Because when you really like look at it from 3,000 feet up, there was an amazing amount of stuff we couldn't do. I mean, A it's a $6,000 movie. So we had a lot of restriction there, but when you really go down to the micro level, it was, you know, we didn't have a ton of extras and we needed it to feel like we had a ton of extras. So just with proper positioning of people and camera movement and being a bit lower with the camera compared to a bit higher, I think we pulled off making it look like there was more people. And then, like you mentioned, we couldn't get any coverage where the cov- where the camera turned towards the house. So when we were initially talking about doing the scene, like we knew it was going to be in the backyard. So we're like, how are we going to shoot this? We had, I remember, ideas of like punching out windows in the house to getting a wide lens on everything. And then as soon as we realized the amount of extras we were going to have, we're like, well, we can't do that because this space isn't filled out when you look at it from uh, like half aerial view. So we really have to get down to the ground with it. Um, And considering, you know, we, (laughs) yeah, considering all those things, I think it turned out really, really well, especially with the look of it.
1: Mm hmm it's, it's not like, um, super complicated when you think about it, you know, for me, it's just, it's almost like shooting on a stage, you know, or shooting on a set where there's always one, unless you build the whole set all the way around, there's always one part of it that you can't shoot. So for me, it was almost approaching it that way, like behind, you know, where we're where we're pointing, there's no set. So we can't look that way. So if you just kind of adopt that as like a a mantra for shooting the scene, then you kind of already know what the angles you can use are. But, you know, we didn't keep to that rule because at some point we're on stage looking at the crowd.
0: Oh, that's true, eh? But we just had to point down quite a bit.
1: Not not even really. Like, I was only maybe like two feet higher than the people in the crowd was. So it was more about filling in the crowd tight enough so that when we're looking that way it's just people we don't really see what's in the background and it's this light's kind of blasting them from the front so you know whatever's directly in front of the camera is going to be the most interesting thing to look at but you know i think i i did shoot the crowds on the 50 from the stage so the background is kind of thrown out of focus quite a bit so all you're really seeing is people's faces and they're all looking towards the camera, pointing their phones, and it's very, like, kind of, the energy is, is put towards that part of the screen. So, yeah, at no point you're going to be looking behind them and trying to figure out what the, what, what's behind them. Because, you know, <laughs> it's a house, but the, really the faces are the most important thing there. So, um, you know, we did look that way, but at no point was it obvious or kind of distracting.
0: Yeah, those are some of my favorite shots in the movie, too. The crowd shots. Like, I wish we had more time to shoot some more stuff like that. Not that, you know, we might have not ended up needing it or using it at all. But those crowd shots, I think, turned out really, really well.
1: Yeah, and it it really felt like you're at a little show. And there's just like a, you know, a mix of like a strained amount of people that all feel like, you know real people even though they're all part of the crew (laughs) (laughs) so let's
0: talk about the the biggest restriction on the evening and in my eyes that was time because we shot midsummer and when it's midsummer in vancouver the sun doesn't go down till like 10 p.m we had a couple extras there and we obviously have no money. We can't afford to give people cabs or anything like that. So everyone had to be able to catch the last train home, which was at like 1230. So I think we started shooting a little bit before the sun was like fully gone. So we started shooting at like 9, 930. And we shot till 1130 when it started raining. Mm-hmm. And in that day of shooting, we shot the entire concert, everything you see there. We shot the scene in the backyard or the back alley, sorry, where there's a fist fight and the entire argument that happens after that. And I think that's those are the two we shot that night, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like realistically, if you had told me, you know, you have all the resources you want, all the time you want, I probably would have shot that concert, just the concert. And the little walk around for (laughs) five or six hours. Like, I think we really could have gotten gratuitous with the amount of footage we got. But we filmed that and a hell of a lot more in two and a half hours. And, you know, I think it was actually kind of meant to be because... The second last take we did, it started raining. And then we got two more takes in of Andrew and Charlie post-fight. Mm-hmm. And by that time it was pouring and we had to let people go. Also, disassembling an entire stage while it's pouring rain and you have like three or four people doing it sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what what's your thoughts looking back at the the time crunch and everything because i think at the time we knew that it was going to be a a quick shooting day obviously because people had to catch the train home but then when it was cut shorter due to the rain you know it actually worked well but how'd you feel
1: i i don't think i i personally ever felt like we were like lagging or we need to really go quick or anything felt like there was enough time to get what we needed um you know, it was just wrangling the crowd and making sure everyone was, like, ready to go when we shot. But I think for a lot of people, it was their first time on a film set. So when yep. when we were like, all right, let's, let's shoot and let's roll, everyone was, you know, ready to go. Everyone was pretty good about it. I think the only person that was a little rowdy was Dylan, as always. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but Dylan is Kramer. He's meant to be rowdy.
1: Yeah. Um, so, you know, other than that, it was all pretty... Pretty straightforward. You know, once the lights were up too, we didn't do any extra lighting. You know, me and Victor, we spent a good couple hours putting all the lights up and hanging stuff and running cables, so we didn't have any issues with like a light turning off or anything like that. And, you know, once things were rolling, it was, it was pretty straightforward. I think the only issue was like at some point the smoke machine was just acting weird because we wanted a little haze on the stage area just to you know, bring a little more focus towards the stage. Um, and I don't think we ended up using a lot of smoke anyways. You can't really tell. But, yeah, yeah, I think it, it all went pretty smoothly. I think really at the end when we're shooting the scene in the alley, I could see the rain starting to show up. And I thought, oh, you know, we don't want any shots where there's just like rain in the background. But I don't think it, it was, you know, too bad like we got everything we needed before it got bad but you know there was that one scene we cut in the film early on and i guess technically we cut a moment at the end of that that scene in the alley too between uh andrew and charlie
0: yeah definitely so let's get into that a little bit let's go to the front end the one that we cut out of there first and so a little background it's basically the alley where the fight ends up happening afterwards it's them approaching the party walking through there so it's the main guys basically tim is super distracted because of what's just happened and he's keeping everything he can away from everyone ben is in his own world like trying to text juliet and mike and uh, ali are just you know basically kind of being supportive so i'm gonna let latif take it away from here give the audience a rundown on this scene from your eyes.
1: Um, I don't know. I, I just remember when we were cutting the film, it started with this scene going into them finding the house. And it it was just you know, Andrew and Charlie were both supposed to look a little drunk, like they were drinking before they got there, and Ben was like a little distracted and you know, Andrew was like, hey man, or I think it was Charlie, like, hey, man, cheer up. It'll be okay. Um, you'll see her later. And then I think Andrew went to Tim. I was like, hey, what's wrong with you? And he was just like, oh, nothing. But it, it felt a, it felt like really similar to party stories. The opening mm-hmm. of party stories where there's four guys walking to a house party. And they're just kind of razzing on each other. And this scene felt exactly like that. And ironically, we shot it in the same alley, walking in the same direction towards the same house. And I thought, you know, we don't need this again. It's not really doing anything for us. Let's just get rid of it. And, um, yeah. And,
0: and, you know, I remember even in the scripting stage, you were like, this, I don't know if we need this scene. And I could kind of see it. It's like, yeah, you know, we might not. I I still kind of like it, but let's just shoot it so when we have it. And then I think that that went on maybe three or four edits into the movie. And finally, we cut it after your insistence of that many times. And as soon as we did, it was like, yeah, we don't need this. This is totally unnecessary.
1: Yeah, and I think even just the way that we shot it, it wasn't like exactly... Cause I, you know, I shot stuff like that before, and it's not necessarily like how I would want to shoot that scene, anyways. It was just me walking backwards in this alley with the camera on my shoulder, so it was kind of wobbly and stuff too. And I thought, man, this isn't even that great of a shot. Um, and it's you know kind of dark and stuff, so I felt it's just best to cut deeper into the scene where it makes more sense. Like we don't need to see them finding the house. Let's just assume they know where it is. Um, that's, it's probably where the loud music is going to be going from. Uh, yeah, and I, I think like it, it works for the transition much better, too. Because I kind of like how the scene ended before. Because I remember specifically wanting that scene to end with all the text disappearing. And it ends with her saying, yeah, for sure. You know, confirming that she was going to go to the party. And him kind of being like, oh, great, I got something finally. She threw me a bone and then it cuts right into the scene and he's already kind of anxious cause he doesn't know if she, she shows up or not. Um, and I thought that was stronger. And if that scene was there between you kind of take away that connection, that immediate connection of that feeling he got. Um, so, you know, to me, that's, that's a stronger way to go into it. And I think it works better for the film.
0: Yeah, definitely. And to, looking at it, you know, with the 2020 vision of, kept in hindsight um it's actually a, an interesting screen writing lesson for me because you always hear that you know don't you only need the information once kind of thing right and the way the movie is now as soon as that scene starts you get all the information from the first five seconds of the scene starting the way we have in the final movie as you would have if we had kept that in, like all the information is, is basically Ben's looking for Juliet. Caleb's kind of drunk and ignoring everyone. And the other two guys are kind of having, they're kind of drunk too. And they're trying to spur a good time within the first five seconds of the way the scene is now you get all that anyways. So there's no new information we would have gained from keeping that in. And I think it's an, A very valuable thing if you're writing just to say you know is this scene totally necessary and can i even get the entire message of this scene across with just subtle performance cues uh, from my actors in the start of the next scene or the end of the scene prior kind of thing and you know not it's going to be i think rare that you would say yes to that but every now and then you don't really need it
1: yeah, I think most most of the time the the more you cut into your scene, the better it is for the actual kind of structure of it. Because it, it makes you kind of jump forward a little and think about what's going on and sometimes it, it you know, launches you into something that you're not really ready for. Whereas when you have a scene start with like people walking to a place and then finding it and settling into that place it's all just too slow and sometimes just um too much extra information so when you just jump right into the place and you're already there you know because i like how the scene starts with you're just on this guy he's at this table with a red cup and you're kind of like oh he's probably getting beer and then you pull out and you see people arriving you're like oh it's a concert thing um it's more interesting that way i I find Uh, uh yep yeah and i thought just in general um, visually, it's very different from what the rest of the movie looks like to that location. So it would be more interesting to just kind of lodge right into it.
0: Yep. And as much as I fought it, which it wasn't a huge fight, it was like, hey, you know, let's just keep it and see how it works. But you were totally right on that one. It was just absolutely the right call to cut it. Um, so one thing I'm very curious, because you just mentioned it, the thing that we cut out of the end of the scene after. I don't even know if I remember what this is. What was it?
1: Oh, it's after, you know, after he gets punched in the face. Yeah. Um, There's a moment of like Ali and Mike like hugging. Oh, consoling.
0: Yeah, I thought that might have been it. Kind of
1: comforting each other. And it just felt really weird. <laughs> it was just kind of like these two dudes hugging in the back of an alley. And it's kind of raining, so that kind of ruined it too. And you're like, this feels really strange. Um, and, I, and I felt like it's just better to get rid of it and move on to the next moment. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's something where... I think that was probably only, what, three, five seconds maybe?
1: Super short, yeah.
0: Yeah. But again, it helped with the pacing because that i think we were originally cutting back to that after the ben and juliet bit weren't we
1: um yeah i think so
0: yeah so just to go back to that again it was like and that's another thing where even though it's cut you can kind of imagine it happening already like if someone you love gets in a fight and you're a caring person you're probably going to give him a hug and tell him it's okay anyways. Right. So like, again, we don't really need that information.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, you kind of see him walk off and having like a weird little moment. I, I imagine it's better to just let, let that end that way. Cause you're kind of wondering like, Oh, what is he going to say to him and how they're feeling? And really you're, you're left with like the, the most immediate emotion that they're, showing you on screen, which is anger and frustration. Um, I think that's a better way to just leave it because it gives you the the kind of root of of what's going through his mind there. I don't think it really helps for you to see later on that he's kind of sad and stuff because that's always a part of it anyways.
0: Yeah, definitely. And again, considering that it is the start of the finale, it's better to keep things on a... An upward motion right like with if we hadn't have cut that hug it would have been like oh my god he's angry and these things are happening okay he's getting a hug like it's gonna be all right and it kind of brings it down and it almost gives you a sense of like resolution in a very very minor sense but by cutting that out it's like oh shit you know things are ramping up now what's gonna happen next and i think it just adds to that
1: Yeah, and part of it does feel a little after school, especially. Yeah. (laughs) I think that was definitely another thing you want to avoid, is to do anything that feels like it's expected like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, All right, so one question that I have for you is, if you could do it all again, you could go back, was there something that you would change?
1: Mm hmm uh i don't know i don't really think so i think you know the way it is is probably the way it's supposed to be mm-hmm. it's not really a lot i would you know you maybe you might put a light a little further or a little higher or something but that doesn't really change the kind of feeling of it i think when you really prepare you you in more ways than one can't capture the essence of the scene and even if I lit it a slightly different way, or if I you know used a different lens, it still would have captured the same kind of feeling um, even if a few technicalities were different so you know I think I all in all I captured the feeling I was going for, so um, no not really anything I would change now
0: mm-hmm. that's good and I- I largely feel the same because I'm happy with how that scene turned out and especially how it looks and everything. The only thing that I might change, and this is, I don't even think it would impact the final movie at all. It would just impact my experience of it is I wish that I had brought on um, another producer earlier in the process or someone, a producer that lived where we were shooting so they could take some of the stuff I needed to do off my plate in terms of producing and I could have focused a bit more on directing. I think it would have just let me be a little bit more in the moment with it because I remember that day I felt that we got everything we needed and I was very energized, but I did feel very torn between like, okay, I have to do all of these things to set everything up in a way where if I had a producer that could have been there full time and, you know, lived near us and could really help set everything up that I would have had a lot more time to spend with you and the actors in the moment, just so to spend on the directing aspect of it. But then when I think that I'm like, I kind of feel like I'm just being selfish in a sense, because we got everything we needed and the scene works really well anyways. So am I just being like, kind of a bitch about this you know
1: yeah i mean that's always something everyone wants more of is a little more control and time to do things more carefully but you know i think a part of the mad rush makes it what it is as well so you know
0: that's true yeah Yeah, that's very true all right well any Final thoughts, anything you think the audience could take away from this deep dive of this, you know. In all honesty, it was probably one of the scenes where we had to do the most setup and prep in the entire movie.
1: Yeah, and for that reason, I felt like it kind of went pretty smooth, like there weren't any hiccups or anything. Uh, I think, like, you can... Well, I can tell, for example, like, there's certain moments where you where i can watch it and i know that that wasn't the first take um Mm -hmm. just because some of the camera movement is so like on time like it just kind of hits exactly where it's supposed to be that i in my head i watch it and i'm like yeah that was probably like take four or something um i think there's that moment specifically after he talks to juliet's friend and comes over by the stage and they're all kind of random, and he's like, no, she hasn't texted me, or whatever. And then Andrew kind of comes in from the left side, and the camera kind of, like, not whips, but just, like, moves pretty quickly over to him, right with, as he says his line. And, you know, when I see that, I can tell that that wasn't take one, because I wouldn't have had that that intuition to just move that quickly. But, uh, you know, it, it works in the film very nicely, because it kind of lands exactly as he starts talking. But... Um, you know, it's probably something you can look at and, and notice yourself. But I really like that moment when we're on uh, Tim uh, and he takes like a, a chug of the the liquor and he kind of looks down and has that look on his face. I really like how he looks there and I like how the light's hitting him and everything. It feels very kind of uh, conflicting.
0: Yeah, totally. I think it, that's the scene where... Tim's acting really starts to shine. Because if you look at the through line of the character, he's kind of like, yeah, you know, he's a douchebag. He's that friend that we all have who's kind of a dick. But then the big moment happens. And everything after that is where I feel like his acting chops really start to come through and really impact people, especially because he played it in a way where it was you know you kind of feel bad for him as much as you hate him and you know that's the reason he got the part because he could see the humanity in the character but there's a lot of alternate universe versions of this movie that exist where i'm sure someone just played him like a total douchebag and it was just like yeah you know he's a dick or whatever but in those last 20-25 minutes of the movie tim really starts to shine as that i think acting powerhouse
1: Yeah, I mean it's not it's not super easy to do what he does. I think with a role like that, it's very easy to just play like a straight up asshole. Um, You know, which I think is the safe way. But you know, closer to the end of the film, the more he has to try to make the audience sympathize with him because he's done something bad, but he's now trying to make amends for for kind of like messing with his friend's personal life um but you can really see it on his face and through his body language that he's not dealing with it well like it's really bothering him and i think it comes through i think he, that's kind of the sweet sweeter side of tim um that he's putting on display there but i think he does it really well
0: yep i agree i totally agree and i think that's a great place. To cut this episode. Cut. <laughs> yeah, you know what's up. All right. Well, this is Filmcraft. I'm Matt Ralston. And I'm Let's see. And this has been brought to you by ACAST. They're an awesome po- podcast hosting service that are kind enough to have us week after week. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next week.